Ranking the Beatles is back again. Ranking bunch of Beatles songs. Ranking Beatles going off. Not too hard. Not too soft. Nice. Well done. I did. We should start a harmony group together. I didn't harmonize with you, did I? You did fine. It was it was pretty close. <laughs> You're like, I'm not going to say that you harmonized. It was close enough. I'll take it. It was fun. It was enjoyable. <laughs> it was a spirited effort. Yes. Yes. You gave your best, <laughs> and that's all I could ask. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Ranking the Beatles, episode number 45. Wow. Ooh. The calendar, the days are just flying by. The episodes are just nonstop. We're just hitting them hard, left and right. Keeping them coming at you. Yeah. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. Another exciting, exciting week. Hope you're all having a wonderful week as well. Uh, things are good here at RTB headquarters today. Um, just another uh, beautiful April day as we tape this. Um, yeah, things are okay. Things are okay. Having a little glass of wine. Yep. While we uh, record the show tonight. Yes. Yeah. Feeling feeling all right, y'all. Hope you are doing uh, the same in your neck of the woods. This is very drawn out. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just checking in on our people. But, That's okay. You know. That's very sweet. That's what I am. I'm a sweet person. You are. So. That's true. Yeah. Well, anywho, I guess let's just get to it since somebody apparently You're not going to check in busy. with me? Well, you were saying I was drawing things out. So how are you today, Julia? How are things over in Julia land? I'll give you one guess. I'm... What am I? San Fran-tastic. <laughs> no, I'm tired. Oh, well, yeah, that, that's a given. That's like, a given. <laughs> give us, like, we need... The people need news, not oh, old news. Well, um... I don't think I have any news to share today. That's okay. We're talking about going back to work. Ooh. Which is kind of scary. Yeah. Going back to the studio. Yeah. Um, Things are starting to open a little bit. Maybe yes. turning the corner, turn yes. the leaf. We shall see. Yes. I think all of our staff is now vaccinated. Yeah. Which is exciting. Good, good. Um, so we're kind of moving in that direction. Cool. I'll miss hanging out at home. I know. You. I'll miss it too. I'm really bummed if you leave. I I'll know. be very sad. I know. Yeah. The dogs will be fine. They don't care. They'll just hang with me. Yeah. They hang with you all day. Anyway. Life will continue as it does here in RTB headquarters. For sure. Even if you're gone during banker's hours. But I'll miss you. Yeah. I don't think I'll be gone all day. Good. It okay. will ease into it. Okay. It's not going to be an all-day situation quite yet. Yeah. Because we're still going to keep some online classes, so I'll still have editing to do at home. Gotcha. So okay. Maybe like half day or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll ease into it. It'll be a, it'll be a slow separation. Fingers crossed. It's <laughs> nice and easy. Listeners, how about y'all? Are y'all still working from home? Are you back in the office? Where do you listen to us? I'm curious to know where you spend your time with uh, the RTB crew. 
Are you uh, in the car? Are you at home in the kitchen, at the home office, at the work office, on the bus? Where are you? Yeah, I used to listen to podcasts on my commute every day. Yeah. Back and forth. And um, uh, now that I don't commute anymore, I am falling severely behind on my podcast listening. But uh, So, yeah, friends, let us know where you listen. I'm curious to know. Would like to uh, like to know how you spend your time with us. Uh, but we do hope you enjoy it no matter where you spend it. Uh, but uh, today, super excited for today's show, number 45, we have a return guest coming back uh, to bat clean up and do... We have a return guest coming back for a much-requested uh, sequel to the first appearance on the show. Uh, one of our most popular episodes so sure. far. Yeah. And uh, we are delighted to have him back. Uh, he first made his name as the lead singer of the band Harvey Danger, uh, who had uh, success with a single in the 90s called Flagpole Sitta. Uh, it's become kind of a cult classic, one of the, you know, uh, one of the most beloved songs of the 90s. Uh, the rest of that band's catalog, three albums deep, all fantastic records, highly, highly recommended. Uh, in 2019, he put out a long-in-the-works solo album called Nelson Sings Nilsson, all covers of Harry Nilsson uh, songs with a uh, with or- orchestral accompaniment. It was just a fantastic album. Can't recommend it enough. Um, but he's back here again to talk another Beatles song with us, and we are very excited about it. So let's just cut right to it. Everybody, please welcome to the show... Mr. Sean Nelson. Gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta get home before the morning comes. What if I'm late, got a big day, gotta get home before the sun comes up. Up and away, got a big day, sorry can't stay, I gotta run, run, yeah. Gotta get home, pick up the phone, gotta let the people know I'm gonna be late. Until a quarter to ten We never thought it would end then We never thought it would end We used to carry on Drinking to rock and roll We never thought we'd get older We never thought we'd How are you, my friend? Oh, uh, I'm doing pretty well Yeah? Um, we finally got our first um, Vaccine injections Yes Um couple weeks back and it wasn't too traumatic um and we go back on may 3rd for uh for our second ones what about you guys how are you doing we're good we're both double vaxxed now um yeah uh have been um getting out and playing uh more shows which has been fun that's kind of starting to open up a little bit in like weird new hodgepodge ways um it's been good we like actually had people in our house for the first time this week, oh, wow. which was like, well, a person. Well, so we had I had a band rehearsal oh, in here right, last week, and then we had somebody over for a podcast Sunday. Um, but everybody that's come in has been double vaccinated, and uh, it's people that we trust. So you know, it's yeah, it's weird. You know, it feels foreign just to have someone in your house again, which is an odd feeling. I know. <laughs> but. Every every time I see, I had to go pick up dinner the other night, and it's this new. It was this new restaurant, and I went in there, and it was just packed with yeah. people. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, yeah. and I felt like this is 
crazy. You guys are being so irresponsible, but maybe they weren't. Maybe it was fine. Um, well, before we jump into all things Beatles, I do have a listener uh, provided question uh, train of thought for you. Um, okay. So we've got a really large listenership in Great Britain, which is amazing. Oh, um, blimey. Right. Uh, go go figure. They like the Beatles over there. Yeah. And um, a number of people reached out after the first episode and said, how do you not know that Flagpole Sitta is the theme song, the, the theme song for Peep Show? Uh, well, yeah. I've never heard of Peep Show because I don't oh. have BBC. Um, right. So I know you've probably spoken ad nauseum about Flagpole Sitta and it at its place in the pop culture of America. But for our UK listeners, I'm curious, you know, how has the association with that show impacted the legacy of the band and the song in ways that we might not recognize or understand here in the States? Um, it's, uh, it's a really, it's actually a pretty interesting question because, you know, uh, it's, you know, the, it was such a out of nowhere, um, request that mm-hmm. they that, that the show came to us and or to our publishers or whatever and asked if they could use the song and it was like wow a theme song for a tv show that's uh that's a big that's a big thing that's really great really cool and i knew that you know i knew some people who had at least performed not written but performed theme song to a sitcom before and i was like well i mean I want to, I obviously want to see the show if possible and, mm. um, and get a sense of it. And there was no way to make that happen in the timeline or they, or maybe they didn't want us to see it or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, so I was like, well, I guess it's a, I mean, it's a show that maybe I'll never even see or whatever, but you know, let's, let's go ahead and do it. The money was not substantial at mm. all. It was a very small sum, um, very small fee. Um, but that's not, you know, that has, I won't say it's never been the reason we made a decision before, but it's it's mostly (laughs) not been uh, our main thing. So, um, said yes. And we're like, all right, well, let's just see. We had said no to having other TV shows use the song as a theme song and been pretty gratified by the, when we found out what the show was like, you Mm -hmm. know, that wanted to use it. Um, and so that felt like, okay, good. But, you know, I am such a, uh, devout Anglophile that I was like, well, I mean, if nothing else, (laughs) the fact is that no one really knew about our band in England. We played one show in London once, you know? And so, um, so it was like, you know, worst case scenario, a couple of people will hear our song. Um, and it turned out that, you know, Peep Show is the funniest, smartest, best, most like, like it's equal measures of totally silly and vulgar and really smart and really like sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the, I, I said it before, but the, it's the only thing that we ever let the song be in that actually seemed like it was in keeping with the songs tone and sense of humor and sensibility Mm -hmm. and um and so in the end it wound up being a crazy you know like thrill and honor and and like it the show went on for i think eight or maybe nine seasons of you know series of you know six episodes each um and ours is the theme song to all but the first season they they had a sort of it was sort of like incidental music as the theme song Mm -hmm. um 
my sense is that they probably tried to, you know, not be that kind of show that has a theme song. Right. You know, and then they found that what they were using, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't feel like it was in keeping with the tone of the show. And so I don't, I mean, I, I would imagine that there are probably, um, there's probably a lot of people who love Peep Show except for that song being the theme song. <laughs> but I have not, you know, heard from them. <laughs> uh, I've heard from I've heard from loads of people who think it's, you know, really cool, and it's the only exposure they ever had to the song or the band or anything. And um, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Uh, it's like I have looked back at things that that song was in and just from like a you know hadn't seen them in a few years let's see how they hold up and they weren't i mean holding up is hardly the issue i never especially liked any of those things but right um but i love peep show i mean my girlfriend and i were just we just sort of binged the whole at least the first i guess five series in like a day and a half mm-hmm. um so i can watch it really anytime and the people who were in charge of it or on it have gone on to really illustrious careers. I mean, Olivia Coleman, who won the Oscar for best actress last year or the year before she is a regular, um, as Sophie and the, one of the two main creators, Jesse Armstrong went on to create that show, um, on HBO about the billionaire family. Um, I can uh, never remember the name of anything. Succession. Was that it? Yes. I've watched it. I really liked it. And you can tell, you can hear his voice in it, even though they're, you know, it's, it's sort of an American phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's great. And then all, really all the actors, at least almost every single actor is just like fantastic, brilliant, great. Yeah. Um, I never got to, never got to meet any of the people involved or had any interactions with them except one really short one on Twitter. But um, it was a, it's the, like, to me, it's the one thing that sort of, saved the song from having a like it just saved it and allowed it to exist outside of just like 1998 mm-hmm. you know yeah uh, which was a big deal yeah um yeah that's pretty fantastic though because it gives it you know a, a second life you know that was never planned and outside of the like the normal you know re-up of like you know a compilation of some sort or you know, just kind of one of the basic, you know, run of the mill things where like, you know, it ends up in a, a rom-com, you know, years later or mm-hmm. something like that. So that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that it's such a positive experience for that. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's entirely positive. It's a great, I find it a really, I'm really, I feel sort of honored to be included because I think that there's a strong case to be made that it's the wrong song for that job. But <laughs> I, unfortunately I don't have to make that call. Right. I mean, it's sort of like, um, I never watched that 70s show um, when it was on, but I have seen it a couple of times intermittently on like hotel TVs and I don't like it very much at all, but it must've been great in some way that a big star song was used as the theme song, even though it wasn't the real version of it, Mm -hmm. but you know, like, but, but I'm sure almost all of the people who watched that show were unaware of at least big star or the, yeah. that song you know yeah. before it and i don't know maybe seven of them went and looked into big star and you know <laughs> found a thing that they really love and that's i think that's sort of that's as good a model for the future of pop culture like obscure bits of pop culture that are good but not for you know 
mass consumption mm-hmm. um that's as good a model as we're gonna see yeah <laughs> you know yeah it's funny you know? I've, I've always heard you know when people would ask uh, alex chilton about that he would call it that $70 song because every time it aired in syndication, he got another $70. And it was just <laughs> yeah. like that nice mailbox money that made him not have to have a day job and nice. just kind of do his yeah. thing. Yeah. It would be it would be nice if the Peep Show theme netted us $70. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, but that's not how it works out. I mean, right. in, I guess in the States, um, I was friends with the guys in the presidents of the USA and they had the song they did the theme song of the Drew Carey show, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but it wasn't their song. It was an Ian Hunter song. Mm-hmm. Um, but they made a ton of money from that. Like to the extent that I don't, I mean, I don't know the intimate details at all, but like even the drummer got to buy a house, wow. <laughs> you know? And so, um, and rightfully so he's a great guy, but like, uh, you know, you do a series of, channel four in england which is not the bbc um it's an independent channel and you know you let you them use your song for the theme song and like the money comes in like you could buy a nice dinner for mm-hmm. everyone <laughs> and maybe have a little bit of money left over for like you know candy bars <laughs> but that's fine because it's not like money is just a uh you know as uh as the character Gwyn from the Rainbow Rhythms episode of Peep Show says, money is an energy. <laughs> when uh when y'all when you binge the show, how many episodes in do you finally start hitting skip on the on the credits at the top? Oh, all of them. I can't I can't <laughs> You're like I don't need to I absolutely I can't be in the room if that song is playing. Yeah. I feel like it's um it's like uh, uh I don't know exactly what the reaction is, but it, it's it's not, I would never claim that it's PTSD, but there is an element of like something physically changes in my body. Like I can't listen to it. Sure. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the, the um, you know, that show, because it's short, I guess they don't have a uh, skip the theme song <laughs> option on the, but, um, but uh, <laughs> mute or like just advance a few frames at a time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's funny. I get that same reaction to, uh, this is so weird, to Sweet Caroline, because mm. when I was touring uh, with Cowboy Mouth, that was always the song that was on before uh, before we were on stage. So like oh, when Sweet Caroline, it was, it was, well, it was right before Lights Out. So it was always like right. making our way to the stage. So it was always like, okay, it's time to work. So when it comes on, I always kind of get that like bit of like, I got to start getting, you know. Gotta go somewhere. Get sort of antsy. You get a little antsy. It's a little, weird. A little dread. Yeah. A little bit of dread. <laughs> yep. Sinks, like just like settles like, into oh, you. God, here we go. <laughs> a little, a little shame. A little shame. A little dread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for for coming back on here. This is your second time on the show, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be talking about Rubber Soul again, um, which I love that we've kind of stayed on the same record. Um, yeah. And this is really the album where the songwriting kind of shifts, I think, um, for the Beatles and the, the kind of the idea of like the, the, the pop group, the Mersey group thing is starting to go away and things get a bit more serious um, in terms of quality of composition, uh, subject matter. Uh, and so it's like they're going to another level. So I want to kind of talk about them as writers with you, you know, Lennon yeah. McCartney, Harrison as well. Um, so, you know, purely as a songwriter and, you know, it seems to me like kind of 
you know, melody and really smart, sharp lyrics are kind of part and parcel in what you do. Oh, thanks. Um, so what kind of lessons would you say you've picked up from them over the years? Uh, God. Um, I mean, <laughs> the beta, it's such a, it's such a, um, such a vast question because really you like the Beatles are a it's they're a band but really also they are a like a paradigm they're like the mm-hmm. they're they are a uh, grand unifying theory I think they're, I called it the alpha like, and the omega today on Twitter mm-hmm. to somebody yeah like, I mean they're yeah. a system you know a system of of like the the music and like the the whole kind of band ness like the the thing the whole thing of bands yeah kind of to me issues from the beatles and and it's there's so much to talk about with them and so many interesting facets it never it never stops like there's never a thing that you're like no that's really boring let's Mm -hmm. not talk about the beatles anymore um but uh oftentimes the the songs themselves kind of get uh I wouldn't say forgotten or, or even overlooked, but just like you take it for granted because this is like, it's these songs are just like, if you've ever tried to write music and you don't have that thing where you just like pick up an instrument and, you know, and, uh, and it just like comes out for you, you know, Mm. um, the, uh, the, the Beatles are, they're like the platonic ideal, you know, of what, of what songs are supposed to be, you know, that's like, you're supposed to feel like this. And also there's something about the, obviously there are a few exceptions, especially as they go later on, but like they're about three minutes, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. Um, They're, they're always as long as the song is like demanding that it be like the song decides. It's almost not like there are humans making these choices though of course there are um it's just i don't like the the like metaphysical level of what they did as as a band but also as like you know as the as the songwriting cluster like the team but also the individuals it's just um i've probably talked about this with friends like more than any other subject and I have no closer to understanding <laughs> what the, you know, what the wizardry or the alchemy or whatever consists of, except because there isn't any, it really is just like a couple of chords, bit of rhythm, a melody and the words. I think that for my part, the, the, the thing that is truly astonishing about Beatles songs is the melodies and that they are um, the vocal melodies, also the vocal harmonies. Um, but like they just, McCartney seems like he was just born with that thing that mm-hmm. some people have where every utterance they try is just a like one of the best songs you've ever heard somehow, you know? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's not, it's not fair. And it's not like, it's not like he doesn't work hard in other ways. Like that's all true, but like, you know, his lyrics often get a bad rap. And I have sometimes neglected to appreciate them, but the lyrics are the lyrics are good. I would say that John's are maybe a little better or George's are a little more sort of interesting or something like that. But like, as again, as Elvis Costello once memorably said, <laughs> compared to who is Paul McCartney, <laughs> not great. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, 
and so yeah what i've taken from them is just like it can always be better because it can never be as good as the beatles right. you know that's kind of <laughs> that's sort of my the, it's it's yeah it's way more like a uh there is an absolute in a way that uh uh, you can sort of throw yourself against, but you can't ever fully, you know, become part of it. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's, I think that's pretty solid. I mean, there's, it. I feel like it's always kind of a loaded question to ask a songwriter like, how have the Beatles influenced you? Because like, in what way do they not? Um, right. You know, they they're the impetus behind the term Beatley. Like if something sounds beatily, <laughs> you know exactly what it is. If you tell a drummer, yeah. like, give me a Ringo thing, you know what they're going to do. Like, it's just, you know, it's as such. As long as they can do it. As long as they can do it. <laughs> and if they right. can't, they probably shouldn't be your drummer. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, that's always a, a fun question to throw out as a songwriter because every answer is different, but it's always just kind of like everything, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, it is like it's a um, and I guess as I get older, um, the number of things I'm willing to say are, you know, great or life altering or, um, you know, essential or, you know, the best, let's <laughs> say there, there was a long time where I was sort of pretty promiscuous with all of those terms because I just felt it so strongly in that moment that I just started feeling like, well, I mean, it's, it's pop music. So it, it contains, the capacity to be the best for those few minutes but like the older i get the longer i go like even things that i thought were just on it was unimaginable to not have them kind of near the center mm -hmm. um it's just the it really is the beatles the beatles are at the heart of it you know yeah. and and the further away you get from the beatles the less it, it rings my bell a lot of the time i mean that's in some ways that's i guess probably not true but it feels pretty true. Yeah. You know, you know one thing I've, I've enjoyed with doing this show is, is talking to a guest, especially a songwriter, uh, when I'm familiar with their music and then going back after kind of getting the gist of where the Beatles sit in their genetic makeup and right. reassessing things. And like one of the things that I've found going back to you, to your music, if I can humor you, humor you on this a little bit, um, is the sense of kind of uh, the, the sense of humor, the ability to skewer authority and absurdity. Um, you know, the opening lyric on what's the first song on King James Version? Oh, uh, Meetings with Remarkable Men. Yes. Or show, me, show me the hero. opening lyric to that is one of the funniest things I think I've ever heard but like you know oh, thanks. there's there's a lot of part there's a lot of lyrics in your catalog that I think are clever and biting and calling out you know hypocrisy and stupidity um, and I think you know a lot of to me that makes me think of you know the point where especially Lennon becomes a bit more open to just skewering everything that he views as bullshit. Um, yeah. You know, like Paul, to some extent, doesn't really do that. Um, and I feel like, you know, when I look at my own songs, like maybe I'm more Paul influenced because I don't go that route in the way I, in the way I write. Um, 
you know, and it's hard for, for people to do that. Um, yeah. So I think it's really interesting to kind of go back and look and go, well, you know, like, um, like a song like Cream and Bastards Rise. Like, mm-hmm. after going through, like, the ringer of the music industry, I'm just like, this is this is brilliant. This is, like, the biting, like, shitty commentary about the shitty music industry that, like, I want right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, that's one that, uh, you know, I, it is sort of about that, but it also has sort of enough plausible deniability that I also, <laughs> I, I believe that it can also be about other things. Sure. But what, it, what it's mostly about is just that sort of the, uh, the feeling of that kind of petulant, like betrayed, you know, like no one is, no one is showing any uh, tenderness or interest in the way I'm, you know, hurting about something or feeling about something. So I'm going to like put something together that the only requirement for it is that you listen to me, <laughs> you know, singing <laughs> it. Um, you don't have to care. You don't have to agree. It's all fine. But this is like, and so in a way I always felt like all of my songs are all of our songs even as a band were kind of just like they were kind of about sending up a flare to people who feel you know feel some sense of like what like I feel like I'm constantly screaming out about how I feel but no one seems to listen or care um there's sort of an element of that like let's all like <laughs> i'm gonna do that too and if you have if it feels like remotely familiar to you this is you know there's more where that came from but then that plausible deniability you speak of kind of echoes like uh you know in revolution you can count me out in, in like, yeah however you choose to take it do what you want with it um it's funny about john in particular because you know he, he i've been thinking about him lately because why wouldn't I? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but um, I, you know, I think about his kind of uh, the brutal honesty phase of his songwriting, which is really like from the end of the Beatles till like the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, songs like, oh, I know it's because they put out, it's the, the, um, the new kind of crazy remix version of classic Ono band. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's kind of where it started and he was in his, uh, you know, Arthur Yanov uh, primal scream therapy thing. And it was all just sort of this, um, you know, like basically brutal honesty. Mm -hmm. And, and this is about me. There's no longer a sense that the songs were about anything other than just his private, experience and the pain that he felt and because it's john lennon and because he is such a like he just had a certain mastery um it they're still like they still are really great songs they're classic songs in a lot of ways i mean mother to me is every bit actually it's way more of a kind of essential forever song for me than like imagine for example which i definitely am you know, I'm not going to deny that Imagine is great, but like, there's some there's some issues I have with kind of his his commitment to that sort of immersion in the self, um, because you know, Plastic Ono Band is great, but not long after that, you wind up with somewhere in New York City, which is 
he's talking about now he's talking about other people but it's really still through the lens of his own you know feeling and experience it's still about him mm-hmm. um and uh you know it's sort of like it's not what i it's not what i um cherish most about him um that sort of super personal expression and honesty and in a way i feel like honesty is one of those like authenticity one of those like incredibly overvalued ideas in art and uh and and music and that's the thing about paul like it's not to say certainly he has moments of dishonesty but like paul is making songs that are like things that you can you know finish and make you know beautiful and then reproduce a million times and put out into the world and people can enjoy them and you know and hear them on the radio or what like but it's not he's not disclosing his deepest uh you know convictions about himself or the world or his mother or his family or his like he's not um he may be getting some that in there kind of under you know under the wire but like he's not a he's not a confessional or a self revealing artist in that way Mm. he's a like he's a master craftsman who also then exposes himself by continuing to do this work Mm -hmm. that's what that that that's a great i'm going to take that as a great transition into actually talking about this song because i think that's going to flow perfectly um so let's go ahead and hop into it then (laughs) coming in at number 172 this week is you won't see me at the tail end of the sessions for Rubber Soul, You Won't See Me comes during a particularly strained personal time for Paul. Uh, he'd been living with his girlfriend Jane Asher at her parents' London home, an incredibly gracious situation, I think, uh, allowing him a place of his own on those rare nights that he's home off tour, uh, with all the trappings of family domesticity that have always seemed uh, to be valued by Paul, and Jane's parents seemingly having no objection to the world's most attractive rock star shacking up with their actress daughter, as long as they're at least under the same roof. Um, the relationship wasn't always candy and flowers, though. Uh, Paul supposedly preferred that Jane would stay home and focus more on just being his partner. Uh, however, Jane was a burgeoning actress, and the push and pull of her wanting to work on her own career was starting to cause a bit of friction. Uh, particularly as Paul and his friends become more uh, involved with increasing drug, exper- drug experimentation, uh, Jane, who is not into the drug scene, began to feel the urge to tend to her own wants and needs. So towards the end of 1965, she took a role in a production of Great Expectations several hours away in Bristol. Uh, this caused a heated argument, and the couple broke up. Uh, however, uh, Jane was in Bristol, and Paul was still living at his ex-girlfriend's parents' house. Uh, they didn't seem to object, though, and eventually Paul and Jane reconciled. However, during this breakup, he wrote several songs that addressed their strained relationship. We can work it out. I'm looking through you, and you won't see me. Uh, So on November 11th, 1965, 
many, many years prior, but my birthday. Um, <laughs> the absolute final day the band had to complete the Rubber Soul album, uh, they spent the first five hours of what would be a 13-hour overnight session working on Paul's new song, You Won't See Me. Time constraints being what they are, and uh, having another song to fully record, uh, Girl, and overdubs left to do on I'm Looking Through You, they only run through two takes of You Won't See Me with Paul on piano, George on guitar, Ringo on drums, and John on tambourine. They call the second one the best, begin overdubs, including Paul's fantastic bass track and double track vocals, John and George's vocals, Ringo's additional hi-hat, and uh, their trusty roadie, I hate to say roadie, but they weren't really calling them crew back then, uh, Mal Evans on the Hammond organ. Song was never, uh, I'm sorry, the song was released on Rubber Soul, both the UK and US versions, and the band, of course, never played it live, but Paul finally dusted it off on tour uh, in 2004. So, why do I have You Won't See Me at number 172? Um, so I'm kind of torn on You Won't See Me. The more I've listened to it while prepping for this episode, the more I think it's actually a really strong song. The melody is fantastic. Uh, I love the push and pull of a descending rhythm track, uh, a descending melody against an ascending vocal. Uh, Paul's bass part, he always credits James Jamerson, the legendary Motown bassist, uh, and he's right on on this track. Um, I've read somewhere that it's actually especially cribbed from the same old song by the Four Tops, uh, which yeah. is amazing because that's actually cribbed from another Four Tops song as well. That's <laughs> um, it, that's actually quite a, a spot on uh, point, and they're actually almost interchangeable. That's not a bad thing because that bass part is spectacular. Uh, and though it's rooted in that, there's something about it that doesn't especially sound dated or of that time of late 1965. It sounds like it could be something, you know, that came from any number of rock pop groups with the pop or the prominent piano in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, I could hear Ben Folds doing a cover of this and it not sounding like a Beatles song. Um, and maybe that makes it more of a timeless thing than I really give it credit for. Um, I think the thing that keeps the song down the list for me, and I say this, you know, with the caveat that I'm examining this purely as the recordings, uh, not Mm. necessarily quality of composition, is that it feels kind of rushed and unfinished and maybe a touch sloppier uh, than it should be. The track's tempo slows down throughout the hi-hat overdub. You know, it's not always on beat. Sometimes it's rushing. Sometimes it's really dragging. Um, And they just don't feel like those like, little hidden flubs you discover in Beatle tracks. It just feels like something that they didn't have any more time to redo. Um, and I also feel like arrangement, arrangement wise, it reveals everything to you by verse two. By the time you get to verse two, all the parts that you're going to hear are there and you've still got two bridges and two verses. So, <laughs> so all they do at the end is bring yeah. in one note on a Hammond organ that pierces through my eardrum for the remainder of the song. Um, <laughs> that part to me is kind of a nuisance. It's like they were looking for something to do. And it was just like, okay, Mal hold down the a key and that's fine. Um, I think the song itself is maybe better than the final version lets it be. 
Uh, and that keeps it a little further down the rankings for me. But like I always say, still love the song, and it's certainly better than anything that I've ever written. <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, I open the floor, Sean. I, I toss it to you, my friend. It's um, really interesting. Uh, all of your observations are, I mean, they're true. Like there's a lot about this song that I suppose must seem a little slight and a little like minor compared to, I don't know, in my life, you know, mm-hmm. on the same <laughs> album and, and uh, you know, and any number of other songs on Rubber Soul and certainly most of Revolver. Um, but I don't know. I, I have always, I've always thought of this song as like the moment Paul really starts kind of claiming the band as his band and not John's band anymore, or at least his and John's band mm-hmm. uh, in an official way. I mean, I guess that process really, I think that process really got started on um, the uh, Hard Day's Night soundtrack Mm -hmm. um because paul really like after a couple of albums where he would you know have some great numbers and do some great performances it still was like this is the band of john lennon and his friends um but uh but this is the one where i just there's a certain kind of uh there's an offhand quality to it but it's also like again i guess it's the melody the melody sticks with me every the vocal melody, I should say, it's, it's it has always stuck with me. And <clears throat> I guess, to, despite what I just said a minute ago about how Paul isn't a confessional artist, but he is a craftsman who reveals himself through, you know, continuing to produce things. Um, this is a pretty, um, this is a pretty interesting emotional uh color for him because it's not like it's funny to think of him being heartbroken by Jane Asher because mm-hmm. by all accounts he was the most notorious of the boys uh, on tour you know yeah. like he in the uh, to paraphrase some fine british writer for your uh, for for your british listeners uh, <laughs> he 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 shagged the lot apparently but like <laughs> apparently Apparently being on tour with the Beatles, it really was like, you know, satiricon or something. It was it was just like the parade of constant sex was just, you know, like mind blowing to people. But um, <clears throat> the idea that he was in this kind of, you know, of course you can't go be in a production at the Old Vic in Bristol. Who's going to? pour my tea into a cup, you know, like, which is, seems like the only, only objection he could have had. It's really weird. It's just weird. Any situation in which Paul McCartney, who was, you know, like born with, uh, you know, physical beauty and musical ability beyond what most humans ever dare to even want, you right. know, frankly, <laughs> that he would be an underdog, that he would be in a situation where, <laughs> where he can write a song that has this kind of, um, cause you know, the, 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 this is an example, I think of a really interesting lyric of his because it's, it's a complaint, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, you aren't, you aren't paying attention to the pain you're causing me. And so I'm, I'm making this song about it mm-hmm. because I hurt 
And the, you know, when I call you up, your line's engaged. That's, I mean, frankly, even just that little bit as a, like, as an Anglophile, like your line's engaged. It's not that your line's busy, so your line's engaged. Um, I've had enough, so act your age. It's just like he's complaining and he's scolding and he's doing that thing that people do. Uh, men and women both do it, though. I think men maybe do it more uh, where he has, um, he can't, uh, he can't sort of make the person he's trying to, um, call out to he can't make her sort of feel what he's feeling and so he goes to say like mean things Mm -hmm. you know i've had enough so act your age i guess that's not that mean but it's you know mean enough um we've lost the time that was so hard to find it's like a really melancholy and this is before he wrote for no one which is sort of to me the the flip side of this song which Mm -hmm. is the like not even trying anymore this is the you know like that's the aftermath this is the prelude to whatever went on with them right um Mm. i just i just also really like the sort of i mean it's this pop rock and roll simplicity you know the sort of uh, lost the time that was so hard to find and i will lose my mind if you won't see me like it's that could be from the same notebook that uh you know like i want to hold your hand came out of or whatever it's it's still the same like it seems very simple. It seems very elementary, but in fact, it's, it runs really deep as those feelings always run really deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it's really significant that he did this lyric in the, in the context of this kind of, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily mistake this for a Motown or Tamla release, right. but like, but you would definitely be aware that the people who made this music loved Motown and Tamla singles and were like well versed in it and were like, this is how music needs to be. I mean, you can hear that in a million bands, like a million bands that sound like when you listen to them, you're like, right. Uh, Led Zeppelin for back in black and what like you, you can name you can name the five things in their diet right um, <laughs> and this is one where the, the main thing in the diet is you know like Motown singles and those Motown singles get a lot of feeling real like profound emotion out of stuff that is incredible just like impeccably put together mm-hmm. and beautifully played and like really really spare the arrangements are so spare um even when they seem like ornate or whatever it's just there's so much space in those recordings um this is like i think the the beatles or paul using the beatles to kind of it's not even like to strain to reach for that it's just like oh yeah like the the feeling is really is really like massively inspired by Mm -hmm. um that and you know i would argue maybe that the feeling the feel is the hardest thing to imitate um, from motown stuff because on paper they're not doing anything like radical except of course they are doing everything massively radical so um but yeah i just i feel like it's a um it's a rare moment where paul isn't um either just expressing like a general longing or a like triumphal whatever <laughs> but like 
this is a like this is a the rare moment where Paul doesn't get what he wants in a yeah. song. Um and and you and there's a, I think there's an ache in it. Um it's not it's not the same ache that you hear in other you know like uh, like oh darling I guess. Um but uh but it is but that one maybe is more maybe it's even too theatrical whereas this one is like a little more close to the vest but if you compare it to some of the other songs on rubber soul um i mean i'm looking through you as you mentioned it's like kind of a companion piece to this mm-hmm. it's a real like you know wound the wound the girlfriend who won't return your phone call or whatever um it's mean but it's also like the meanness that is an expression of uh, one's own kind of wounded feelings of uh, inadequacy. Yeah. Um, but then you listen to like uh, "Think for Yourself" by George, because George became, you know, a writing kind of force on this record. Um, it's his whole thing is like, I don't, I don't even care what you're doing i never cared you know like mm-hmm. that sort of bravado and and disdain but his has also his the musical vibe is really like you know it's very uh it's kind of what is it it's not it's chill like it's it's very sort of um guarded and mod almost and detached like, almost like detached yes. from the subject and it's funny because we talked a long while ago we did an episode on um uh, uh, you like me too much, which yeah. is very much like, like I'm so like I'm so much better than you're worth, and you like me way too much to ever leave me. Yeah, and like that's the coldest sentiment to put in yeah. like a little jangly pop song. Da, da, do, do, do. Uh, yeah, so he could be like a really like ice veined dude. I feel like. Yeah, I think George had the meanest. So, no, John. John. John was the meanest because he wrote <laughs> "How Do You Sleep," which is the which is the meanest song. Like, yeah. it's, and and you're just like that's another one where suddenly Paul is a an underdog of all people, like the least under the overest dog in <laughs> history right. is Paul McCartney for sure. <laughs> and now he's an underdog because because John, the person who is the coolest of all of the Beatles forever. Um, writes this song that's just like you're nothing like you've never been good yeah um like the harshest and of downs. it's so mean and the thing it's in response to is also like what too many people like that wasn't <laughs> mean that was barely even comprehensible no one would have thought that. anyway um <laughs> all of which is to say this is not a mode that paul returns to very much mm-hmm. um he doesn't he doesn't do uh, – I mean, I guess maybe there's like an element of this in Helter Skelter. Um, and I can think of a couple of songs throughout his uh, solo career that are, you know, like a little bit in this mode. But it's just not – it's not his – it's like he's singing in another range or something. Yeah, like – Although, of course, speaking of the singing, <laughs> like <laughs> – who sings better than this? this is like the this is one of the best vocal performances he ever did, I believe. Yeah. And I think that it's um, uh, the backing vocals really help. The backing vocals are, I think, where the sort of shabbiness that you kind of alluded to in the like, like the mess ups or whatever, mm-hmm. the mistakes. I listened recently to a kind of um, I mean, it's a 
it's a it's not like actually the isolated tracks because you can't isolate the tracks on of the four track thing they did without some sort of wizardry but like i bought a bunch of japanese bootlegs that used the guitar hero or whatever that game was separation Mm -hmm. of all the track and i listened to the vocal the, the lead vocal on this one uh and the backing vocal uh comps of john and george and um they were clearly like not concerned with perfection, (laughs) 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 which is fine with me. But like, I think that the backing vocal part, the harmony on, on some of these lines is like, it, it sounds like maybe accidental or, or not well considered, but I just think that they're fucking killer. I love them. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I really found the first two lines to be quite spicy for Paul. <laughs> like the, you know, uh, what was when the... When I call you up, your line's I, engaged. Yeah, your line's engaged, and then the, I've had enough, so act your age. I was like, oh, ex- excuse me. Like, he's yeah. like coming out of the gate here, which I feel like is very, as you said, sort of uncharacteristic. He usually holds his cards pretty tightly. You know, like he doesn't reveal too much in his songs. And even though, even if he does, like you don't really feel it. You don't normally pick it up. Um, right. So I feel like he comes out of the gate really strongly. And then for the rest of the songs, sort of dials it back and goes back to his sort of classic Paul, like super catchy, still great lyrics, but they don't feel honest, I think. I don't know. Like, it just, it doesn't have the same, nothing else in the song has the same spice as those first two lines. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, oh, oh someone has pissed you off. <laughs> right. Well, it's like you all, and I, I'm I'm going to just say one thing. No, I'm, you're I'm, fine. It, it's almost like, you know, he gives you the half truth. He's giving you his side of the story. And when you know the full story that, like, he's all over town, you know, all over the world, mm-hmm. like, shacking up with every woman he he can find but then he's like you won't return my calls what are you doing who are you talking to and it's like well you're only really getting like the half truth right come on right yeah and you know it's sort of interesting thinking about it and in the context of his relationship with jane and how he didn't want her to go off to work like i he didn't do that to linda did he and was it different because she was able to work within the sort of confines of his job, like as a photographer, like she could be there or as the keyboard player. Yeah. Like she was still, he was like, I'll let you work, but it has to be within my circle. Right. Like I'll let you take photos, but it has to be with like other bands that I know. I'll let you be a musician. It has to be in my band. (laughs) I'll let you, I'll let you write songs, but only the middle eight of um, live and let die. (laughs) Well, and then there's, you know, there's alternating, you know, conflicting stories about how much she really wanted to be the keyboardist in wings from time to time, um, where it was something he really was pushing for. Because, like, you know, he wanted it to be this family thing, and he really wanted her there, and she was like, I'm not a, I'm not a musician. Like, right. I'll do it I if think, you really want, but I don't, really don't want to do it that much. And then it was I, just kind uh, of a thing. I definitely fully believe that she did not at all want to be in Wings. <laughs> yeah. I've always believed that. But she was also like, oh, the whole family can be 
on tour together and we can live this amazing life and do all this amazing stuff. And yeah. Okay. Like I, my sense is that my sense is that when the Beatles broke up, Paul really was like fucked. He did not know how to take care of it himself. Yeah. Like not, I don't mean like in terms of, you know, shaving or, you know, cooking or something. <laughs> I think that he didn't know how to proceed in life with the, with the absolute sense, both in like to himself and to what he perceived as the world that the the other three beatles just hated him and that he was the he was the villain in the story where like one second before he was the co-hero of the story and secretly the the real hero of yeah. the story you know yeah. and i think that because he and linda had only just gotten together i think she really was like i think she was like First of all, don't like just don't worry about it so much. Like you you can't control that. Like let's just be together and let's be here and let's be like uh, let's do this family and that's where your sense of yourself is going to come from because you're great and you write great songs and you're Paul McCartney for God's sake. And so <laughs> I I think it was like I think it was a lot of that. I think that she really like she didn't, you know, scrape him off the sidewalk and get him into, you know, a a new record deal or whatever. I think she was like, she showed him what it was like to be nurtured, you know, and loved by someone who was like your, um, your, 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 your friend also like your colleague, your, your person, your, your your partner, your your wife, your yang. Yeah. What you, what you hope your partner would be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that the music thing was like, okay, check it out. It'll be, he pro- he probably didn't say it'll be just like John and Yoko, but he probably was like, you, you know, you know, well, let's start a band. It'll be like, it'll be our band. And she was like, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> like I get, okay. I don't play any instruments and I don't like singing that much. Um, is that going to be a problem? And, <laughs> and, and he was like, no, it's no problem. And it wasn't like, the thing is, if you listen, I don't know if you guys are like, how, how, deep you go with the wings like just the wings phase we go deep we go deep (laughs) yeah we're hard but like there's no there's no denying whatever you whatever else you have to say about linda and i am a great like i love linda mccartney i think she was one of the really interesting unsung rock and roll people Mm -hmm. um but like her voice is a massive part of those records yes like those harmonies are you know they're good and they're they're you know, I just I think she was a real um, she was a real kind of person of substance. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I swear to God, I'm gonna let you continue your train of thought. In a moment. No, you're fine. It's OK. <laughs> As it's I step all over you. So. It's, fine. Um, I don't care. it's the, the 50th anniversary of Ram right now. And there's a 50th anniversary version of it uh, that Denny Sywell has done with a, a few other players. Um, covering the whole record in its fifty, enti- really fifty. Good lord, yeah. um, holds up. And so the discussion has come up of you know again of why are Wings not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Paul is in there as a solo act as well as with the Beatles. And um, in this interview with Danny Sywell, he was saying, and th- what the way he's kind of explained is that he is still in contact with Paul, and they do talk, and you know they you know have they're on a, a good a good relationship. Um, but the discussion is like, well, yeah, we all think Wings should be in the Hall of Fame. And if it ever happens, that's amazing. But don't expect us to play because it's not Wings if Linda's not there. 
because her vocal yeah. is, you know, her vocal and Denny Lane's vocals as as harmony vocals together. That's like the secret ingredient to what makes Wings work. Yeah, you know, and gives it that specific thing. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a pity. Like she got, I mean, as much as he got, you know, pillaged by the press and just like ordinary folks mm-hmm. she she just got like slaughtered yeah they people said the meanest shit about her for her entire musical career her entire career alongside paul until you know her death like the people said and people said horrible things after her death they still say them now like yeah. it, i see yeah. them on facebook all the time in like various beatles groups and it's like eh, this isn't my tribe <laughs> unsubscribe yeah like yeah. no thank well, you you know the um I just learned about this new podcast called All About the Girl, and it's all of the women in the Beatles universe. Like, it's an entire podcast by two women in England. I forget which cities they live in. I wasn't familiar with them, but it's, like, two friends um, that it's – and they only talk about, like, the women. And I think they just – I feel like I saw a tweet the other day that they're going to do an episode about – they said, you know, people always talk about the – Paul John Yoko relationship, but no one ever talks about the Paul John Linda relationship mm. and how that dynamic worked. Yeah. And I was like, oh, "Tell me more! Yeah. <laughs> subscribe, subscribe, subscribe!" Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear that because, like, because she was she was into John first, apparently. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Well, I don't know that they mean like romantic relationship, but sort of oh, the, right, the, the dynamic. dynamic of the you know having these two people as partners as husband and wife and then sure. this other person that exists outside of their marriage mm-hmm. but is also in a relationship with one of the people in the marriage you know like you know how that works yeah you're in a relationship yeah. i'm sure there's people that sort of enter your circle and cause a ruckus sometimes it happens uh, yeah. it happens <laughs> um yeah so i'm like really looking forward to that and then there was that book today that we just found out about yes. a women's history of the beatles by mm-hmm. uh, Christine Feldman Barrett, and I want to order that like tonight yeah. because I yeah. am like, um, I haven't done like a lot of deep dives into the re- into like research for this podcast. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I know sort of like the basic overview of the Beatles story, but I don't know all of the things that y'all know. Sure, <laughs> um, but like sort of the women's stories interest me more because mm-hmm. I feel like they're not told a lot, and the things that I do hear are. I don't know, nine times out of ten, critical. Like, oh, Yoko can't sing. Yoko broke up the Beatles. Oh, Linda's a terrible singer. Why did she have to be in Wings? She was awful. Blah, 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 blah. You know, right. like, it, it's always some sort of, like, problem with them and never celebrating them for the things that they contributed to the world. Right. <laughs> and I'm tired yeah. of it. And yeah. I want to hear some good shit. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 that's really true. I mean, it's gotten better in the sense that it has it has gotten to a point where there are people who are actually considering those women's lives and their experiences alongside this juggernaut because you know at the time the band was together it was like i mean obviously there were four main stars but um people it's just again kind of unimaginable the degree to which the degree of hatred that got aimed at Yoko Ono. Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot because growing up, the first time you ever heard her name, it was always in a negative, or for me, it was in a negative context, even though no one was really thinking about 
it for themselves who talked to me anyway it was just right. like yeah she was the she was the bad one or you know a yoko is a like it's a villain character yeah um and in fact you know yoko ono is one of the most interesting women of the 20th century <laughs> right. and like and is like like I won't I won't go so far as to say that all of her music like blows my mind, but a lot of it does. And it is like I don't necessarily always put it on for pure pleasure, but like when I listen to her music and the one time I saw her perform live, it really was like this is again like this the other side of the looking glass because the twentieth century I grew up in said that this was a person to, you know, to mock right. and to be really cruel about and i just don't i couldn't feel less that way yeah. you know yeah yeah and well, and the yeah. and and if anything what i'm struck by most is the the like the the endurance of their love you know throughout mm-hmm. that whole time like whatever whatever skepticism was aimed at it it's like they fucking obviously obviously loved each other and if you have any feeling for any beatles music you have to acknowledge that you know you have to like and 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 embrace it i think and be nourished by it and i feel exactly the same way about paul and linda really yeah i mean for a a relationship for a guy who you know up until the moment he got he met linda and like they connected was like you know all over town like multiple women like whatever and then just shut it down was like i have found you know my partner, I, I'm happy. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Like that's a connection that, you know, you can only hope to have, you know, something close to, which is just. And at the same time, they're also people. Yeah. Like, why do you right. have to be so mean? Like, why does it have to be that? Like, <laughs> why do you feel the need to be cruel and disparage her, whether it be Linda or Yoko and them and their work and like everything that they stand for and their families. Like, why do you have to, like, why can't you just like let it exist as this thing and be happy that this person that you sort of look up to idolize, uh, appreciate their work, like has found someone that makes them happy and brings them joy. Like, I mean, let's be clear. These men that people worship are not perfect and sometimes can be quite <laughs> terrible yeah. on their own. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it just, it really sucks that people just can't be nice. And <laughs> just, just like treat them like humans. And, you know, at the same time, the four Beatles, the four members of the Beatles have this experience that no one can understand because only the four of them did it. Their partners have are the same. Like only right. they have this experience with that one person that was part of this monumental thing that existed at a point in time, you know, and, you know, sort of continues to exist, but it's not active, but like, and them trying, them being a, you know, a, a, a flank of that is ch- right. challenging. And, sure. you know, as a woman who is married to a musician, neither of us are as famous or as talented as any of the Beatles or their partners. Mm, but, right. <laughs> But it's not surprising to me that people are that mean to them. I mean, I've had the Yoko insult yeah. hurled at me. Yeah. And it's like, fuck 
fuck you. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know me. You don't know my relationship. And you're assuming things about what my husband and I talk about in our home to each other. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, it sucks. It's a horrible thing to have said to you. And yeah. It's just like you don't. It should be. To... I mean, that should be a that should be a compliment. Right? It should be. And, you know, at the time, I was not smart enough to take it that way. But it wasn't intended that way, <laughs> for sure. It so wasn't. it's like that's, yeah, it should be a really, um, it should be a, an honor. For sure. I, won- I really wonder what's going to happen because she's, you know, she's 80. She's not apparently not. Her health is maybe a little wobbly or something. But, yeah, I've um, seen that. I'm very curious to see how the kind of, you know, there's a. It's not even an industry. It's like a bunch of people volunteer for it. But like I and I have too. But like anytime somebody dies who's famous, a lot of people sort of broadcast their, you know, they're sort of not to make it all about me, but I, you know, like that kind of sentiments, which is, sure. you know, whatever. It's, it's fine. But um, but she's one who was like, you know, people have been lining up to wish that she was dead for a really long time right. and mm-hmm. and even the murder of john lennon did not kind of leaven that thing very much you know people yeah. still are that way and of course it's you know it's deplorable and whatever but it's you know it's still real but you know if she dies which she certainly will in the next 10 years um i'm really curious to know if people are going to uh kind of eat their words a little or if she's going to be kind of redeemed as she deserves to be i think in a public way yeah for sure i wish that would happen before she dies yeah yes yeah. i agree <laughs> and you know i feel like i'm very encouraged by you know sort of the new books and podcasts that are coming out that are you know focused a bit more on the women of this universe and maybe the tide will turn sooner than we think i don't know yeah the people would have to give these people creating <laughs> the time to listen. So I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds, but hopefully she'll, you know, get some flowers before she's gone. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Well, how do we feel, gang, about... Um... Oh, I did have one more thing oh, to say. sorry, sorry. Go ahead, I'm please. Just, I'm just going to take it back to the song really quick because we went on a way <laughs> off tangent, which is super typical for me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to say uh, you think it sounds like very uh, timeless mm-hmm. and I agree except for um, and this is not in a bad way because I really enjoy it. The guitar tone is like very sort of like typical 60s to me. Um, and it's funny, Sean, you mentioned it being a companion piece to I'm looking through you and the guitar mm-hmm. tone is very similar to me for the two songs. Interesting. Okay. Um, it's sort of like a little more like high pitched. So, well, they're this, working on it the same night, so uh, well, that's very possible. Yeah, right? like it, yeah. it sounds just the tone of it sounds very similar to my ear when I like play them in my head movie. Okay, I don't know. Think about that. Let me know what you think. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think you're you're I think you're right that the guitar is sort of it's not um, there's nothing special about the tone. There's no sort of like none of that Beatles. Uh, juice on it like it just but it sounds but it sounds i mean 1965 is sort of year zero in a way and there's a sense that which for a sense 
for me that like almost every music I ever almost band or record or, that I've liked sounds a little bit like you could draw a line from it to 1965 in right. some way. Like, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, to me, it's the, the, to me, the piano is really the, um, the, the sort of defining instrument in mm-hmm. this yeah. thing. And it's not, it's not a, it's not a lead thing, but it's just sort of, maybe that's because the guitar or may, I mean, maybe the guitar is being uh, intentionally, subservient to the piano in that way or at least tonally um but i just the the piano bits really add uh they add a flavor that i mean it's sort of to me i think that's what puts it in uh motown territory along with the backing vocals for sure uh it just it has some sort of great it's very simple it's very you know like clearly it's not being played by a virtuoso but um (laughs) but it's cool like it's just really it's really cool. And there is a slight um, sort of uh, disjunction between what the instruments are up to and what the lyrics are up to. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a, it's like you don't, li- if you listen to the instrumental track of this, you wouldn't be like, oh man, I bet that's kind of a sad love gone wrong song. like oh that's that sounds jaunty i that's wonder groovy. what it's about yeah <laughs> groovy yeah yeah exactly um but yeah the um but to me like the the my love of the song and my kind of connection to the song really occurs or or, or maybe is like the center of it is uh is um the highest notes that he sings you know since i lost you it feels like years and you know i wouldn't mind if i knew what i was missing those are like they're it's self pity really mm-hmm. um in those things but that's a like self pity gets maybe not as bad a rap as yoko ono but um it does get a bad rap in our world um because it's considered disgusting um and uh and i know why it's considered disgusting because people are disgusted by themselves when they are that way, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but everybody feels it, and it's like you know, it's it's not necessarily, it's not something to brag about, but it's not something to shame necessarily. And in a way, there's an element to which, like, this song is a kind of, yes, it's an example of self pity, but it's also kind of that's the subject in a way, mm-hmm. um, and wrapping it up in, uh, wrapping it up in some Motown vibes is a is an inversion of what you expect, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I'm into it, but those high notes, you just like, I have played, I've, I've performed this song a couple different times in my life. And those are, it's hard to sing those notes, like, yeah. not for nothing, but like it's, that's in my range, but it's still hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he doesn't write easy to do things all that often. <laughs> like, no, he likes to like no. prove his metal. And sing for his supper for mm-hmm. sure, but so, they're often like deceptively. Oh yeah, like that's absolutely the, sort of the beauty yeah. of it is that on the surface it's just like a really catchy pop song, but then if you break it down or try to perform it, you're like, oh, oh come on, come on, right. really, <laughs> with the high yeah. notes. 
the high notes or you know four million chords like when i sat down and tried to learn uh here there and everywhere and it's like every four beats you're switching chords holy shit like and there's yeah. like eight different chords it's absurd <laughs> so the guy is i think to your to your point about the the lyrics kind of starting off really strong and then kind of like just becoming a normal song i really think that's 100 percent true and that it's like he does he does kind of use it all before the first chorus because that's where his that's where the real feelings are you know and and like you would just never it's, it, in a way it seems innocuous but in another way like having paul sing i will lose my mind if you won't see me it's like that is a total totally different uh self for him to put in a song mm -hmm. there's no other song in the beatles canon i don't think that that is so um vulnerable and so weak and yeah. so like and so not in control and so not i mean sometimes he's like even when he you know like let it be is a song that a lot of people like a lot of people know and a lot of people are really into it but i you know like i know some people who aren't super into it and i think it's what they what they told me was that it was because it just doesn't like i don't buy it i don't buy that he's feeling these i'm sure he felt it in life about mm -hmm. his mother but like the song is like a in a way it's like a burlesque of a mourning song or okay. a gospel song you know mm -hmm. not that it's a you know and it's formally perfect but also like spiritually a little thin you know? See that's what, and I feel the same way about the long and winding road, and I I've Me gotten too. a lot of a lot of flack about that, <laughs> um, but yeah, it just feels, I hate to say disingenuous because it's obviously a very hard time right then, like, you know, early '69 is like it's everything's terrible, like the world is crumbling around him to some extent, um, but on record it's just like it's overwrought to me. Um, but it's also incredibly sad, but it's like a manufactured sadness and yes. it just doesn't quite appeal to me as the listener. Like if I want to hear something that's going to tug at my heartstrings, I want it to naturally do it, you know, not like. Well, I think it's hard know. for him to like really open up. Sure. Like, yeah. It, it He's just a guarded seems, man. Yeah. Like it, 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 you know, John is very willing to like put it all out there. And just put yeah. all of his feelings on display. Good, bad, evil, love, hate, you know, mm -hmm. anger. Everything is just bleh. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. Here's my soul. Yeah. And Paul's like, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. Right. And you'll be happy with that because it's going to be in a really fucking beautiful package. Yeah. And you're going to love it. I have wondered about that very thing because, like, I mean, obviously, I've – consulted the same source material you guys have and like i i you know it's john was like you know let me tell you about the thing i pulled out of my um under my fingernail this morning it was dirt but i don't know if it was completely dirt like but, but he would just tell you know he said like he would reveal anything mm -hmm. um and i think as a result the work he did suffered you know like in the 70s at least like mm -hmm. that was his most confessional period and it was sort of like uh, yes it's good to go down that road for a time but he stayed way down that road and never really came back from it mm -hmm. um 
But I think Paul, like to, to me, the crucial question is, is Paul guarded or does he just not, does he actually not feel those things in the same way? Does he have, cause he obviously has feelings. He obviously is a person. Right. Um, but maybe he's just not like, I, that's a question I've asked about lots of things my whole life really, because, you know, I've known a lot of people who are shy and I'm, I'm not a shy person. Generally, I, I prefer to, I don't know, like I've always liked performing and I, I like addressing a large group of people as much as I can enjoy, you know, anything, if enjoyment can be said to exist. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I meet shy people and I just feel, I mean, my immediate feeling is like, why is he judging me? <laughs> right. But um, I feel that way about everybody. But, um, <laughs> but as I've gotten older and kind of gotten that like under control a little bit, I have found like the, the assumption that a person who isn't forthcoming about their troubling emotions or their kind of less uh, attractive or more complicated feelings or whatever, the assumption that they're doing, that they're intentionally not showing you what's there mm -hmm. is like is rivaled to me by the knowledge that for some people it just, they don't actually engage on that level yeah. Yeah. and that there's a certain like, some people just don't. My grandfather was at Pearl Harbor and Guadalcanal. He never once spoke about the war. I know that's a sort of corny cliche sure, but about you know. World War II veterans, but it's also happens to be true. Right. And and he and he didn't. I mean, if he was tortured, it was way down deep. He seemed like a pretty, uh, you know, pretty generally pleased guy. You know, mm -hmm. you know, like like with Paul, you know. And I think, you know, with both John and Paul, you know, losing their mothers at early ages and growing up in, you know, for for John, an environment with his with his aunt. But, you know, kind of to some extent, like on his own and figuring out how to deal with those emotions on his own. Paul, with his father and brother, and I think kind of getting that like, come on, son, stiff upper lip, you know, like we don't talk about these kind of things. I think right. that makes him keep those things in because I'm the kind of person that like I don't share my deep, dark, horrible things with people like mm -hmm. I let that I like to shove it down until it just builds and builds mm -hmm. and builds. Um, but like with Paul. <laughs> but then there's people like me who often I will let, not... you will let me know what the problem is well, like, no, but or like, like what I'm you're feeling. Also, like not a very emotional person like <laughs> yeah. my sister has every emotion all the time like she's <laughs> right. very, like she's very in tune with her emotions and is very like free with them and i am just like not like yeah. i'm the opposite i like he calls me the juliatron 5000 like i am very <laughs> like like if <laughs> feels no emotions yeah like I, I i'm sometimes and i worry that and i i'm sure it does sometimes come off as like cold and unfeeling, I guess maybe I am a little, I don't know, but I don't mean to be, yeah. and it's not with malice. It's like, I just don't, I don't think I feel things quite as deeply as other people. And I'm very good at like compartmentalizing and, um, I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with that yeah. at all. I mean, we're all just humans. Yeah. Like, Every, everyone people deal with things in different, different ways. ways. You know, but it's also a function. It's a function of what the person who is accusing you of being cold or emotionless, what they're not seeing in you that they want to see from another person, because yeah. it's how they feel like they are. Right. I, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I mean, it's complicated and maybe off the 
topic. But I still, I mean, but in another way, I don't think it is because it, it like the question of Paul's inner life is one of the most interesting, vexing questions of all time. Mm-hmm. And you'll never know. No one's ever going to know. It's not like yeah. he's going to die and they're going to find his like Laura Palmer secret diary. You know, it's going <laughs> to it's going to be like like the work is what's there mm-hmm. and the you know the secondary stuff that you know about and love that's there until it's gone yeah. but the work will always be there and i think that is a reflection of his innermost yearning you yeah. know like yeah. he is a he's an artist i think that's why his his autobiography is literally just like, here are my lyrics in books and I'll give you an anecdote <laughs> relating to these lyrics. But like, that's what little... he's putting out. Like, yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's brilliant. That's exactly, he's giving you yeah. exactly what he wants to give you. Yeah. You know, I think the most open I've ever seen him, I think maybe the most candid thing I've seen him do uh, was when they did the, um, uh, the March for Our Lives a few years ago mm-hmm. against gun violence. And he showed up downtown in New York City with a end gun violence shirt. And of course, like here comes, uh, you know, Don Lemon or some some CNN person. And he's like, well, my best friend was murdered uh, in gun violence yeah. about four blocks away. And he's not, you know, like he's not Mr. Charming Paul. He's not doing the, you know, the gripping. No grin thumbs and, up. Yeah, there's no thumbs up. He's very serious about it. And it's like, wow. OK, well, he's like he's there because he wants to be there. Like, that's mm-hmm. a personal thing. Yeah. And that seemed yeah. like a very unguarded moment. And you never see that from him. So I thought that was really a fascinating thing to see. It's true that you you never see him off guard mm-hmm. ever, yeah, and that's really unusual. Um, he is a master of a, that kind of presentation, um, which is again, I guess that's why. I mean, I'm I want to say I, I'm with you on um, Long and Winding Road. That is, I think, my least favorite. That's, that's the bottom of my Beatles list, um, and it's because really it gets to the line. Many times I've been alone and many times I've cried. And you really are like, I mean, have you really? Like, how many times? <laughs> how many times? Right. Um, uh, but, you know, that's, you know, that snideness aside. Like, I just, I don't, you're right. Like, it doesn't, that is a song, a, like, at best you can say it is a formal experiment in, like, what, soul ballad, R&B ballad. Yeah. That just doesn't, it doesn't ring true at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all. Yeah. So, how do we feel at one seventy two? Am I am I off base? Am I too high? Too low? I I feel that it's very low. Yeah. Because but just because this has always been one of my favorites, so it's a I have no um I, I have no uh, uh, argument other than like come on. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> would Would you say it's, is it top hundred for you? Top fifty for you? I would say that it is top 50 for okay, me. Um, okay. I would say that it is maybe top 20 for me because wow, I, okay. because I really do think it's like, there's a Paul's role in the band as like the other guy who is the lead. It was like the co-lead or whatever the sort of, you know, John's second. Um, With me as always is Garth. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really, <laughs> changing as of this moment and that he's really like rubber soul and revolver is where he steps into this like oh wait a minute i'm not only as good as john i'm as good as anyone alive you Mm -hmm. know and and that obviously that's i mean i i wouldn't 
think that that kind of arrogance would be totally out of uh, the realm of possibility for him to actually have felt. But really, it's like it, he's he would be entitled to that. He was as good as anybody else on yeah. earth at that moment. And and I think that this is a you know I, I, again I get to that like uh, I will lose my mind if you won't see me. Um, the days the, the days are few. They're filled with tears. Like that's that's maybe pushing it are they they're not filled with it but, but like even the thought even the thought of him crying over someone it's like what yeah you did <laughs> don't you don't you know that you're paul mccartney uh, anyway i just it's uh it's just a kind of again like i think the the thing about like the best lyrics are in the first verse and then in you know as the song goes along it's like just variations on those things and more things that rhyme and then by the time the song is halfway over the lyrics have to start all over again and just like it just repeats yeah really um because i think that maybe it's you know the either he doesn't want to continue to forage around in this particular you know festering wound or he's like i mean i already said the days are filled with tears like what more do you want <laughs> I'll, just, I'll, say, I'll, I'll say it again yeah um, okay. because the because the tune the tune is so great mm-hmm. you know and this is an album track this is like def like a definitive album track though yeah. with the beatles it's sort of all their songs are kind of great singles or you know almost all of them but um but this one is like it's an album track and if you didn't you know, if you didn't have the whole record, you would never hear it. It's never on the radio. It's never anywhere. The fact that he played it live is really uh, frustrating to me because I wish I had seen it. But, um, <laughs> but you know, like it's it, it's a it's an out of comfort zone song by someone who's like whose comfort zone was just incredibly expansive. Yeah. Yeah. Julia, where do you, how do you feel? Where do you where do you keep it? move it up a little bit okay just for the uh the scoville alone (laughs) a little spiciness at the top i enjoy it um yeah um yeah i think i'd move it up a little i'm not i don't know that i'd top 50 it um into the 150s yeah yeah i think so okay i still i also don't know what's ahead of us so it's always hard to say yeah how far i'd move something up because i'm like well wait there's a lot to right still. <laughs> so that's kind of a hard thing to decide but fair enough i, I think it, yeah okay definitely not down sure 100 okay. not down okay okay Before I let you go, because I, I appreciate your time, um, I want to ask you about uh, Nelson Sings Nelson. We touched on it briefly last time you were on, um, and yeah. ha- Harry's always had this association in the Beatles story, and I feel like uh, you know Beatles fans that 
get into Nilsson, there's just kind of like a moment where like that music just kind of appears and clicks. Yes. I think for the listener, like where was that moment for you? Um, for me, it was the, I mean, his, to me, the Beatles association is like fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. And I know that he went on to have some wild days with John, but like to me, Nilsson is an adjunct to the monkeys. And mm-hmm. um, so when I first heard cuddly toy on whatever monkeys episode that was with you know uh davy wearing like a the candy striped, striped blazer, striped blazer yeah. and a and a cane and all of that stuff i like i couldn't i was young then i was probably 13 or 12 i cannot deny that in that moment i was like aware that a certain part of my like musical soul was revealed and it's so like <laughs> It's a, it's a, you know, it's the same exact vein that um, Honey Pie is in mm-hmm. on the White Album. Like, it's the same sort of, it's, in a way, it's, there's a, there was a weird yearning within rock and roll in the 60s to, like, to be the 20s, you know, in some way. I, have, I don't know why, don't really fully understand what that's about, except for it has to do with the British music hall world. But I love it, and I've always loved it. And um, Nilsson is like one of the great exponents of it. And so I this thing stuff probably not long after that, and didn't. I, I guess I picked the wrong things. Like the Nilsson Schmilson album is, it's really good, but it's also not really that. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's a seventies rock yeah. album, and the like. There's a lot about it that I. I'm not super into, but there's tons of great songs on it too. And like the point is great, but it's also, even though it's only whatever, 22 and a half minutes or something, it's a little, I don't like everything on it. You know, sure. it's like there, there's filler. Um, but it wasn't until I heard those first two Nelson records, the Pandemonium, Shadow whatever. Show. And the, the, yeah. Pandemonium Shadow Show and uh, Ariel Ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, those were pretty mind-blowing to me and i just loved it i loved how i loved how he sang and i loved his kind of his arrangements are so silly at times and so kind of like wacky but but they also had a certain um it was different it was a different kind of zaniness it was a kind of more destructive zaniness or almost a a punk uh disregard um that i really loved and then but the real, the real one, the real moment where the record was, my record was born was when I was listening to a, you know, I went to the record store and I saw that there was a reissue of the Pussycats album, mm-hmm. um, which I had heard but didn't really know and I didn't really pay super close attention um, at the time. But uh, I listened, I, the, the, the song Don't Forget Me came mm-hmm. on and I had to pull over because I really was like, I was in the car, I was listening to it and I just was, I was sobbing by the time the song was halfway over. In the summer By the poolside While the fireflies are all around you I miss you when I'm lonely I miss the alimony Thank you. 
Um, and it was, it felt clear to me, and I don't know if it's true, but it seemed really, really true to me um, that this was Harry's song about John and Yoko um, because it was whole, you know, the lost weekend period or whatever, that it was about, it was about, you know, bro- a broken love. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and again, this sort of like wailing from the bottom of the well, you know, like, don't forget me is such a prostrate sentiment. It's such a, like, what a, what a thing to feel you have to say. Yeah. And so like, to, it, yeah, maybe it's like, maybe it's a little maudlin or sappy or whatever, but I, you know, I completely, some, it just struck a chord in my, in my soul. And I was, um, I then couldn't listen to anyone else for months. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like Nilsson is sort of the antithesis of Paul, like in some way of like, when Paul tries to be like very sad, you're like, mm. Like kind of like the long and road, you're like, I'm not buying it completely. Like, okay, it's probably coming from a place of, of some sadness and some struggle there, but like you're not really selling it that well. But when Nilsson sings, you're just like, oh god, it's just, it's just <laughs> you're, you like your body collapses. Like right. it, you can just just the the sheer sadness comes through so naturally. Yeah, and you're just like. I, I feel it in my bones yeah. and I don't even know specifically what you're thinking about. And it's, you're killing me. It's almost <laughs> like he's like Paul's evil twin and that like, he's got the same powers of melody yeah. and arrangement and vocal. Um, but you know, if Paul's just going to give you, you know, kind of the streamlined, um, well-intentioned version of it, Nilsson's going to give you like the exact same thing, but like spiked with acid. You know, yeah. like, and like, it's going to, it's going to pull things out of you that you don't even know yeah. that you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. He was, um, I mean, he had a pretty spectacularly, um, sad and difficult childhood. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that he kept going back to that childhood, mm-hmm. uh, in his, in his songs, because in a lot of other ways he had a certain, like, nothing can ever hurt or touch me because I don't take any of it seriously. So like, yeah, fuck you. Um, but, but when he did, when he went back to that, to that well of, of feeling his stuff is like, it's not just melancholy. It's like, it's shattering, you know? Um, but, but then also the, the, the funny songs are, he, I don't know. I was always in love with the thing of like in that song, 1941 or daddy's song, or, I mean, there's a bunch, those songs are almost the same song in Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, but his, you know, his um, juxtaposition of this like uncomfortably revealing and sad lyric with this like almost circus music, you know, (laughs) Um, it's, uh, it's really it's really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it struck a chord with me, but I, but I also like, there is a point there's very, I think it's rare among musicians that I have loved or that I have, you know, followed anyway, where they like make interesting music, interesting music, interesting music, like maybe not as good, but oh, no, really good. Like they make a succession of records 
and then it just everything good about them stops a hard stop and they never do anything else again that's any good at all mm-hmm. um they're you know like people that is what people say about paul but yeah. um but that's if you you know that's certainly not my experience and i've you know right i've listened to i've listened to it all mm-hmm. um or at least all of it that i could get my hands on and and if i could get my hands on the rest of it i'd listen to that too yeah um but with harry nelson like it really is like there's some dodgy stuff and then pussycats happens and then it's just like he kept making records he made several additional records and just none of them were even good you know mm-hmm. they weren't they, or <laughs> they weren't even bad you know <laughs> they was they were just like it's just hard to listen um um but yeah i, I think he was a He's a fascinating figure. And again, like the vocal range thing, we're similar. Like he has a much more sort of beautiful and pure voice than I did, but uh, or I do, but um, it's in the same neighborhood, you know, tonally. Mm-hmm. And so that, that to me was another big part of it. I don't know. I, his, his just, his sheer unlikeliness was something I really uh, connected to. Yeah. And how long did it take you to make the record? You worked on it off and on for like, 20 years about, is that right about 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 10 years wow um 20 I, years sorry about that. <laughs> but it was more like um well actually you know it might have been no it's 10 okay um because <laughs> it's still yeah i started in 2006 uh and i just i i get easily discouraged and i you know get i get really excited and then i you know do some work And then I take it home and I listen to it and I'm alone and I just have that thing that's like, oh, wow, this is, uh, (laughs) this is terrible. I can't (laughs) let anybody ever hear this. Right. And like a real panic response, like not just because I'm listening to myself and it's bad, but also like, what, why didn't I know this then (laughs) Um, when I was doing it? And then, you know, then I will put it away and I never have thrown it into a river or something, but mm-hmm. I've considered it. But, um, but then, you know, I months and or years will go by. I'll, you know, fall in with a different group of musicians or friends or, or be talking to someone about it. And then I'll give it a listen and be like, Hey, you know what? This isn't bad. This is pretty good. Maybe I'll do a little more work on yeah. it. And then, <laughs> And then you're like, okay, where are the files? Where do, like, how do I even do it? Um, part of the issue was that when I first did the basic tracks, the guy who did the the guy who did the arrangements, who was a, who was brilliant guy named um, Mark Nichols, he also was engineering it, and he he was you will probably remember from the early 2000s that there were a bunch of people who were like, I don't know if I'm gonna convert to pro tools right <laughs> i think maybe i'll use this obscure other software <laughs> and maybe that one will be the one that really catches on right and i'll be the, you know i'll be the betamax pirate but, um, <laughs> but he was using this software that didn't not only didn't wasn't compatible that didn't catch on but it wasn't compatible uh compatible with um anything and so all of like, every track track by track had to be like airlifted out and given CPR and like put into another. (laughs) And um, so that was just, you know, it was like that. And then um, I don't know, eventually I thought, you know what, I have to, I have to call this done. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. 
um, so I did. I had some great help from great people, and um, I'm really, you know, despite the fact that this is currently the most press I've done about the record, um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm very proud of it. I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Um, I, lo- I really love Mark's arrangements. I must say that a fully half of the whole point of doing the record was that I thought that name would be really funny. Right. Nelson sings Nilsson because <laughs> of Nilsson or Nilsson sings Newman. Yeah. And, um, and as I discovered over the course of nearly 20 years of talking about it, not just, uh, you know, I guess it was, maybe it was more like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I would say, you know, I'm going to do a record of Harry Nilsson songs, you know, like, Nelson sings Nelson, and the like the the pause would just stretch to infinity, and they'd be like <laughs> waiting for the punchline, and I'd be like, you know, like Nelson sings Newman, you know, the <laughs> album everyone knows, and of course everyone doesn't know it, and that was another yeah. <laughs> valuable lesson. I didn't; it didn't even occur to me that somebody wouldn't have known that reference. Right. Uh, well, it's a it's a fantastic record, and. Uh... I thank you. I'd like to. Th- I'll thank you just for for making it and putting it out there because it uh, it has gotten a lot of play in our place. We really sure. really enjoy yeah. it. Oh, so. that is that is great. That's um that's enough for me. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh. I don't know Maybe if you I saw. Can, um, I'll send I'll send you the bonus track. Yes, <laughs> I'll take it. Um, I don't know if you saw Mickey Dolan's is doing a uh, a Dolan sings Nesmith album coming out. I did. I did see it. Um, it's funny because I was. Um, drinking with him in uh, uh, no I was in uh, where were we where were we with when we not Reno Rio Lake Tahoe not Rio Lake Tahoe and um, I told him we went to see the the Nesmith Dolan's show Mm -hmm. um, and it ended early because Mike was apparently having um some he was ill i think a minor thin, heart attack or something <laughs> yeah it was like the thinness of the air he needed oxygen yeah. really badly anyway so my girlfriend chandra and i were in the bar and he was there and i'd met him once before and we had a couple of like i mean to say friends in common is to really stretch the possibility that we're right. on the same plateau of reality but (laughs) but he remembered me and we sat down and drank and drank and drank with him and he really can put them away and i told him (laughs) about i told him about my record and Mm -hmm. um i mean there's no reason to think he remembered that but i will say that i read an interview with him when that uh dolan sings nesmith record was announced and um and he said, yeah, you know, I, I don't even know where I got the idea for that title. And I was like, yes, you do. You know. But um, he, he almost certainly doesn't. Um, yeah. And that's fine. And I, for one, am very excited to hear that album. Same. Excellent. He, can, he still is in excellent voice. He really, really is. Like, every time he can really sing. It, it's fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, from what I understand, like, he did his fair share of partying, you know, in yes. the 70s. And obviously, like you said, like, he still you know, partakes in a beverage, but he obviously knows how to take care of his instrument and, you know, it's paid dividends because even, you know, the, the good times album and the Christmas album, he sounds fantastic. Like great. Listens. The, I, I would say that 
and I have a slight bias because I'm, you know, my friend is the songwriter, but the, you know, the song Me and Magdalena oh, yeah. by Ben Gibbard, mm-hmm. the two of them though, Mickey and Mike singing it's together. Unreal. I've like, that is as good as any great thing they ever did. Yeah. It's as good as, as we go along. It's as good, like, it's, it's really, really, really something. And I, I put that on a few times recently because I was thinking about how it's been a year since Adam Schlesinger died mm-hmm. and what a like what a sweet, good guy he was and how incredibly talented he was. Um, but that song, it's, like, it's absolutely transcendent. Yeah, it, re- it is. And that was, I remember when that record came out, you know, I remember driving in a car with you and just being like, wow, this is better than I thought it could be, like on so many fronts. Yeah. You know, when they first announced the the album, I was like, "Oh, do we need this?" And then I saw like <laughs> right. Adam Schlesinger's right. producing it, Ben Gibbard's writing, uh, Rivers Cuomo's writing, like uh, all these people. I was Andy like, Andy Partridge, Andy Partridge, and I was like, "Okay, well, now I'm super intrigued." Because like, there's it's some funny because I I really that album was like, I mean, I'm always if the Funkies do something, I'm always gonna be there. I just yeah. can't like, I'm not, I'm not capable <clears> of of not having my appetite like stoked by the existence of that. Like I just do. I, um, it's, it is, it's just not something that is ever going to get wrung out of me. And yeah. if it, I mean, it could have, it should have by now, <laughs> right. but it hasn't been. Um, but when they announced it, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And there was just one little tiny little thing inside of me, this ridiculous, the ridiculously persistent ego thing of being like, what, they lost my number? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, do, I couldn't write, I couldn't try to write one fucking song for the monkeys. Anyway, but, um, but, and then I was like, okay, there's enough people on here that I truly, really admire. I'm, I'm okay. I'm on, I'm on board. I was on board anyway. Yeah. But when I listened to the record, I thought, okay, these are good. And this is like the smart way to do a monkeys record for sure. But the Andy Partridge song and the maybe I don't know there were a couple of others, maybe the Rivers Cuomo one. Um, they were like they were kind of in a way like imitations of '60s, like they were like fake '60s songs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, sort of like anytime you see a '60s scene, a '60s flashback in a contemporary movie, everybody's wearing. <laughs> bell bottoms and right <laughs> looking at a looking at a lava lamp um, straight out of austin powers yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like a like a burlesque in a way not that it isn't good but like a little sort of all right i get it a touch but forced then, a touch forced um but then yeah me and magdalena is really like it's one of the best songs i have maybe ever heard you know mm-hmm. like and i i I know that being hyperbolic is sort of a weakness, um, but it's, uh, <laughs> but I mean it like I, there were, it's, I guess to me, the test of a song like that is ha- like, have you, have you ever stopped what you were doing and put the song on repeat and only listen to it for like three hours? Yeah. I've done that with that song a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, there's not, not a lot there, not a lot of components, but everyone is exquisite and everyone is just perfect. Yeah, for sure. And I, I kind of agree. You should have just called Ben back and been like, you know how I feel about this. Why didn't you like toss him my number? Like, yeah, I know I could never, I could <laughs> never. 
<laughs> well, before we let you go, do you have time for a couple rapid fire questions? And then I promise we will get out your hair. Oh, for the totally. Evening. Awesome. Absolutely. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Here we go. Uh, most underrated Beatles song? I mean, you're soaking in it. I think that <laughs> I think that uh, <laughs> you won't see me has to be right up there because I think people don't people don't necessarily take it that seriously. But um, but also, and I'm not saying this to be a dick, but flying. Mm. That is a perfect song. It's an instrumental. Like it has a it has a real vibe. Yeah, yeah it's got a vibe. It's got a hook. And it doesn't overstay as well. Great hook. Yeah. And the only, it's the only song that is uh, credited to all four of them. Yeah. Uh, most overrated Beatles song. Uh, I could be long and winding road. Mm-hmm. Um, Shots fired, Paul Sanchez. <laughs> I know, I know a couple people. I mean, it, I, being, I think it was in the long winters that we got in a couple of like real bench clearing brawls about the validity <laughs> of that song um uh i don't know i don't like i guess that one's a little overrated but i i mean even that one i would like i don't like that song at all but i know that i would take a bullet for it <laughs> <laughs> you know i can't say like what do you like what like Strawberry Fields Forever is somehow overrated. Are you crazy? You know what I mean? Right. Like I, I, that's my calculus. It it's, can't be overrated. It can't even be estimated how great it is. It's sort of like, um, and I don't know if this is with every city or if it's just New Orleans, but like uh, we feel very strongly that we can talk shit about our city as much as we want. But if someone mm-hmm. not from here dares to utter <laughs> anything about the city that is unfavorable, we will fucking cut you. Like, we yeah. will come for yeah. you. This yeah. is like... <laughs> for sure. Truth. We're coming for you. Um, what is uh, a Beatles song that you wish you'd written? I mean, again, that's all of them. But, uh, you know, to me, I think Penny Lane is probably the pinnacle of human endeavor on the planet like i can't i can't imagine a thing that's more just sort of exquisitely what i love um but it's that one um and if not that maybe hey bulldog (laughs) exact opposite but it's so tough it's so good yeah nice i also love like about penny lane that it's a place that you can go to like you can like you can literally just go there and and when you visit it you're like (laughs) Here's the lyrics in front of me. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. what a cool yeah. thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> usually songs are so very, like, personal, you know, or more yeah. about feelings and not so much about, like, a place. Right. And you can, like, go to this place and be like, wow, wow it's here. This is it. Uh, well, the, the, the Dark Horse third contender in there, though, is probably for no one because mm. it's, it's just so fucking sad. Yeah. I mean, it's so, so sad. And... I don't know if you've ever heard the demo version of it Mm-mm. before they had the, it was when they were figuring out um, how the middle bit would go, the instrumental, mm-hmm. um, the French horn. Uh, and the <laughs> Paul's singing it, playing it. And then it comes to that part and he's like, uh, I think maybe, maybe a French horn, you know, do some, right, right, something like something like this. And then he just like off. I mean, clearly he had it figured out, but like, it seems very much like it's just completely extemporaneous and he sings 
he sings exactly the line as it is played on the recording wow. later. It's, <laughs> it's just incredible. Just a little, little something off the top of his, off head. Top of his head. He's ridiculous. Or, you know, or we could do something else if you feel you can beat that. Right. I don't think you can. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's exactly the energy he brought to yeah. that. It was like, or yeah. something else if you can do better. Yeah, right. You can't because I'm Paul McCartney, but you know. So funny. Um, what is a Beatles song that you used to not like but now love? Do you have one? Mm, yeah. Uh, it's probably one of the earlier ones. Um, I don't know that I ever didn't like it, but I always was like, right, right, right. Uh, she loves you. Whatever. Like, it doesn't <laughs> seem it didn't seem important because I grew up in a house where, as I think I mentioned the last time, like my my dad would like grudgingly admit to liking the Beatles, but only after Rubber Soul, because that's when they got really interesting. <laughs> so I grew up in definitely like a later Beatles are best kind of, uh, you know, brainwashing. But the that early stuff is just insane. I love it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, She Loves You and I Want to Hold Your Hand are incredible songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, fully i mean they're they're so you've heard them so many times and they're also sort of like emblematic of the of a shift in history you know like culturally so in a way they do like it is possible that they kind of get lost but um man i really really like it um but the other one would probably be long 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 but i didn't it's not that i didn't like it it's that i didn't get it you know i didn't i sort of didn't hear it yeah it's hard to it's hard to it's easy to forget that song because it's so quiet too. Like, yeah, it's just so understated all across the board, but my God, is it good? I can't, I don't know when it's, that comes up in the list, but Holy crap. I love that song. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Uh, and finally a Nilsson song you wish you'd written. Um, God, that's pretty tricky, but I think it's, I think it's probably, um, I think it's Daddy's song. I think that's my favorite um, because it's so sad and so jaunty, mm-hmm. jaunty and sad. That is the jauntiest. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, Sean, man, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show. It's, it's such been, a pleasure. Been a blast. Anything, uh, anything going on that you want to throw out to the listeners? I have nothing to plug, <laughs> nothing at all, um, except my my uh, joy in talking about the Beatles with you guys. Well, thanks, man. Well, uh, anytime you want to come back, well, you, we'd love to have you back. We enjoy it. The listeners seem to really enjoy it as well. So a pleasure oh, as well, always. That's, yeah, that's very nice to hear. Um, yeah, we should definitely talk about that top uh, top hundred for sure. Make, make some plans <laughs> for sure. For sure, Sean Nelson, everybody. I think that may be our longest episode. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I, don't know. I feel like maybe our Blotto Beatles meetings have been longer. Oh, but those wrong. are usually on their pod. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But, that uh, the longest one here. But he's such a good chat. I loved chatting Beatles with him. Like, yeah. it is such a joy. Um, I look forward to doing it a whole bunch more. Friends, what do you think about You Won't See Me coming in at number 172? Too high? Too low? Or is it... Just like Baby Bear's Porridge. Oh, dear. Just right. Oh, dear. Uh, We're going with this, huh? I'm sticking with it. Sticking with it? Sticking with it. Okay. Um, let us know what you think. <laughs> Leave your comments in the Facebook feed or on Instagram or Twitter. Let us know what you think. We would love to know. 
And uh, yeah, hope you all have enjoyed our show. If you have, please feel free to give us a review. Yeah. Five stars, please. Yeah, we got one from Malaysia this week. Whoa. Yeah, five stars from Malaysia. Amazing. Beautiful. Um, yeah, so let us know how you enjoy the show. Um, tell a friend. Follow us on Facebook at... Ranking the Beatles. Follow us on Instagram at... Ranking the Beatles. Follow us on Twitter at... Ranking Beatles. Yes. And if you feel so inclined and wish to uh, throw a bone or two our way, uh, you can go to anchor.fm slash ranking the Beatles, I think. Uh, and there's a little button that says support if you feel like dropping a few coins in our basket. Um, so that's about all we got. Nothing else. Um, until next week, friends, y'all have a wonderful week. And uh, we'll see you next time. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Julia. This is Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all.